take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We are uh, continuing in our series that will take us through the summer months in Samuel. We'd like us to look at chapter 3, and I'll begin this morning by reading verses 1 to 10. 1 Samuel 3, beginning at verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel. Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be attentive, that our spirit would be willing to do what you ask us to do. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Help us to listen. Amen. Today we are looking at a passage that has been very meaningful to people in all generations. It is Samuel's call to ministry. And those who have been called to ministry can identify with this particular passage. Uh, it ranks right up there with God's call to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 or to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, or to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1. It is God's call on his life to serve him in ministry. But what makes this passage so meaningful is that there are so many different details that people can relate to. For example, Samuel was around 12 years old at the time. We're not sure exactly of his age. That is the best estimate by those that have studied it. He was still a boy, as he is referred to in this passage. You know, and I was thinking about that when, you know, I, I have many times heard a missionary say, you know, I was 10 years old when God called me to be a missionary. Or I was at this young age when I sensed God's leading in my life toward ministry. And many times it is in those years as a child that God comes and speaks to someone's heart and sets the direction of their life. When I heard that the children were going to be leading us
us in worship uh, this morning. I was really excited about the particular passage uh, that was going to be talked about today because Samuel is a boy who is being called into ministry. And here we have all of these children who are leading us in worship this morning. God speaks to children, and he has a plan for their life. God's call also came in the ordinary circumstances of Samuel's life. I mean, here his mother had brought him to the temple. She had given him over to God, but Samuel had not yet made that kind of deep personal commitment that he is about to make. He is going about his business, really, in a servant role, assisting Eli and some of the others on the temple grounds. And here it is, night. He is resting from his work. And God comes and speaks to him in the ordinary circumstances of his life. And that is how God most often meets us in the circumstances of our life. As we are going about our business, our life situations, there may be circumstances that God uses to get our attention, or maybe in those times of quiet as we come before him. It may be this morning as you are here in this sanctuary that God is going to speak to you in a very personal way about something going on in your life today. God's call comes in the ordinary circumstances of life. And thirdly, Samuel needed help discerning God's call. Uh, he had not yet learned to hear the Lord. This was a new experience that he is about to have. And he needed help, and it was Eli who actually directs him as to what to say, that it is the Lord who is calling him. And the same thing is true in our life, that there are many times when we are trying to discern God's will for our life, and especially as we are growing up, whether it's as a child or a youth or a young adult trying to discern which way should I go, it is the experience of older believers that can help you to discern God's call and leading in your life. And even when we are older, it is those times when maybe we have others who pray with us that are close friends. And as we are weighing out things in our life, we need someone who's a trusted confidant that we can share our heart with and say, would you pray with me? Samuel needed help in discerning God's call. All of this is very, very practical for us. But the big idea that I would like you to think about today and that I would like you to take with you today from this message is this, that it is a marvelous thing that God speaks to us. It is a marvelous thing that the God of the universe, the God who created this world, speaks to us. I mean, I mean who are we? that this great and mighty and holy God should care enough about us as individuals that he wants to speak to each of us. It's a marvelous thing. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, wrote this. He said, God our maker knows all about us before we say anything. But we can know nothing about him unless he tells us. You get that? I mean... He knows all about us, but we can't know a thing about him unless he tells us. And here, therefore, is a further reason why God speaks to us. Not only to move us to do what he wants, but to enable us to know him so that we may love him. And therefore, God sends his word to us in the character of both information and invitation. 
It comes to woo us as well as to instruct us. It not merely puts us in the picture of what God has done and is doing, but it also calls us into personal communion with the loving Lord himself. God speaks to inform and to invite. He speaks to inform us about himself, about the world that he has made, about his plans for us and his desire that we would have that relationship with him. And then he speaks to invite us to come into that kind of personal fellowship with the living God. It is a marvelous thing that God speaks to us and wants to have that kind of relationship with each of us as our loving Heavenly Father. Well, what we're going to look at today in this passage is what happens when God speaks. And I want to bring out three things from the text. Number one, when God speaks, there is hope. When God speaks, there is hope for every situation in life. The author of this scripture begins by telling us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were not many visions. In fact, in the book of Judges, in this 330-year period that precedes these events, we are only told about two prophets and five visions. Two prophets and five visions in 330 years. Now, there may have been more that were not recorded in Scripture. There probably were. But it is an indication that the word of the Lord, this kind of revelation, was rare in those days. And what happens when God's word is rare? What happens is that lawlessness increased until everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No word from God, no clear guidance, no reverence for his word or the scripture. And what happens? Lawlessness increases as people just do whatever they feel led to do. You know, it's, it's my rights, it's my situation that's important. I'll take what I want, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, and it doesn't matter. Now, I am not a prophet, but the very same thing will happen in America, too, if we reject God's Word. And if His Word has no place in the public arena, and His Word has no place in our life to guide and direct us, that same kind of lawlessness and anarchy will eventually come. And there are times when countries, you know, that have experienced the grace of God in a marvelous way kind of think that, well, it's because of their own wisdom or power or ability that they've been able to do these things. And then what happens is they turn away from God's Word and their pride and arrogance begin to reject that. And we start running on the fumes. Without the Word of God, lawlessness increases. But verse 2 is a word of hope. The author says, But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. He is referring to the lamp of God, this candelabra that would have been in the temple, there that was to be kept lit continually. There inside the tabernacle was to be this light of the Lord, a symbol of his presence. And it was to be tended so that it never went out. And as it went toward the early morning hours, you know, if they were not paying attention, this lamp of the Lord could fail, could go out. But here's this word where the author is setting us up that the word of God, the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. 
And there was still hope. There was still hope. It was a picture of Israel. It was night in Israel. It was very dark as a country, morally, spiritually, with their decadence and their religious apostasy. But the light of the Lord had not gone out totally. God was about to speak. And when God speaks, there is hope. So here is this boy, Samuel. He is sleeping in the priest's quarters. Where the tabernacle was, outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard would be these enclosures or other tents or buildings where the priests would sleep. Samuel is sleeping near Eli. We are told that Eli's vision is failing. And so Samuel, as this young servant boy, is there to assist Eli. And he's probably close to Eli because if Eli needs to get up in the middle of the night and he can't see, he needs Samuel there to help him to find what he needs or to get to where he is going. And so uh, it also tells us that Samuel then is near the Ark of the Covenant where God has chosen to dwell among his people. And the Lord calls. The Lord speaks to Samuel. And you can understand why Samuel at first thought that this was Eli. I mean, his responsibility is to help Eli. And so he gets up and he runs to Eli and he says, Here I am. Here I am. You called me. What is it you need? And Samuel has this heart of a servant, willing to serve. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. It happens a second time. Samuel comes. Eli, you called. No, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. And in verse 7, the scripture tells us this comment. It says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And that word know again, we talked about it last week, means to know God in this kind of personal, intimate way. Samuel had a knowledge of God, and he was growing in that understanding of God. But he had not yet had this kind of experience where he was to receive a word from the Lord. He had not learned to recognize the Lord's voice here and the way that he was about to work in Samuel's life. Samuel is about to enter into this deeper relationship with God. Was this Samuel's conversion or simply his call to ministry or was it both? You know, you can talk about all of those things as possibilities, but it seems very clear here that Samuel had never experienced this before, and he was about to enter into this deep relationship with God. The Lord called a third time, and Eli knew it was the Lord calling. So he instructed Samuel to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Go back, lie down, wait. If the Lord calls again, this is what you are to say. And this time we are told the Lord came and stood and called Samuel, Samuel. Twice, the sense of urgency, the sense of Samuel. There is a word for you, Samuel, come. And Samuel saw and he heard the Lord speaking to him in a vision. How does God speak to us? Samuel's situation was very unique and profound for him. But God also speaks to us. And how does he do that? Well, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word, the Bible. The written word. 
And we come and we read the scriptures, and when we come with a heart that's ready to hear what he has to say, he uses his word. I can remember those years, especially as a child, where God's word sunk deep into my heart with that kind of power and conviction that the word of God has. I remember as a young child memorizing scripture and how easy it was to do that, maybe when we were younger, and how those words just... You know, I hid them in my heart, and God used them in the years coming up. And that's why I rejoice when I think about our Awana program or the children's ministry and the impact that that has upon our kids. God's going to use that in their life all the way through. The primary way he speaks to us is through his written word. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it tells us also that God has spoken through his Son, the living word. When Jesus Christ came by his life, he shows us what God is like. He's the exact representation of his nature. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus Christ and we read about his life in the Gospels. God also speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, to our heart and to our mind. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to illumine our mind, to understand God's word, to empower us to live the Christian life. He intercedes for us according to the will of God continually. But personally, in my experience, the times when God speaks to me, I need to be quiet before Him. I have found in my life that God does not shout above the din of all the noise around me. He doesn't speak to me if I am just simply filling my mind with noise and music and television or media. I need quiet times before the Lord. And when I do that, God speaks. It's in those times when I am praying or reading the scripture or meditating on it or being still before the Lord that he comes and he speaks. God also speaks in visions and dreams. In our day, we've heard many stories of what God is doing in places like the Middle East, where he is getting the attention of people in those Muslim nations. It's remarkable. In visions and dreams. That I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus has come in those visions and dreams or others. But invariably, what those visions and dreams do is it will direct the person to the Scripture. Go to such and such a place. You're going to find this person. He will have a book for you. A copy of the New Testament, the Bible. So often those stories that have led to conversions have been that kind of situation where there is a vision and dream which they respond to and they take quite seriously. And God directs them to someone who can tell them the way of Christ more clearly and share the gospel with them. And that's why, lastly, God speaks through other people. When we are in church, might be at a conference or retreat, when we are away from our normal setting, that's why those retreats or those conferences are so significant, that when we get away out of our kind of busyness and hectic lives and we step back and we take the time to be with God, He speaks. And He has a word for each of us. My own call to ministry came in that kind of situation at a conference when another person was speaking. 
when God speaks, there is hope. But secondly, when God speaks, there is truth. There is truth. Look at verses 11 to 18. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. When God speaks, there is truth. When God comes to us and he gives us directions about what is to be maybe the next step in our life or how he may be leading, God tells us what we need to know. He doesn't tell us everything about the future. He just often just tells us the next step. This is what I want you to do as you are following me. I think of Pastor Ron in these past uh, couple years when he was discerning God's will for his life and he was thinking about this ministry overseas of teaching and training pastors and then it kind of took a little twist and turn as God led him to the church where he is now serving. Uh, Pastor Ron in the midst of that would say that you know, God and I were on a need-to-know basis. And right now, he doesn't think I need to know what the next step is. And that's kind of how it is in life, where we are following God, and he shows us what we need to do here, and then the next step as we wait on him, and then the next step. And all of us have had that. Times when you're just kind of, you know, you wish the Lord would make it a little clearer, or write it on the wall what it is that we're supposed to do, and then we know. But he wants us to walk by faith. And so he comes to Samuel and he speaks this word of truth where he says that I'm about to do something that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. God is going to do something so shocking in Israel that they would not have believed it. The ark of God is going to be captured, lost to Israel. That holy object where God had promised to dwell among his people is about to fall into pagan hands. And Shiloh, this place where the tabernacle stood, that was this place where people came as a center of worship to worship the living God, is about to be destroyed because of their sin. It will be shocking and sobering what is about to happen. God will carry out his judgment on Eli and his family. You see, the penalty for showing contempt for the Lord as a priest or showing contempt for the priesthood was death in Deuteronomy 17. And the penalty for willful disobedience to parents was also death. What his sons had done in not listening to their father and in not honoring God but showing this contempt for his house and the offerings, the sacrifices that were being made was something for which there could be no 
atonement. There was no sacrifice for such high-handed, deliberate sin. And they had come to the point of no return where God was going to act in judgment. This was a hard word for Samuel to hear. But it was the truth. Can you imagine it? This boy who hears this word of the Lord. The roles have been reversed. It's not Eli, this old man, this priest who should be speaking God's word, who hears, but now it is this child that God is going to speak through. And this child feels for Eli. I mean, Eli's the one who's been helping him all along. How can I tell Eli this word that God has spoken? He was afraid to tell Eli. And probably the best thing that Eli ever did for Samuel was to warn him to tell the truth. Tell the truth. You know, I think about that in terms of our responsibility before God. We are just the messenger. Okay? We're just the messenger. We are ambassadors for Christ. It's as though God were speaking through us to others to share his good news, the gospel. You know, we're the messenger, and it is not our privilege or right to change the message. It's not. We are simply to communicate what God has said. And it is a hard thing to tell people the truth about salvation sometimes, that there's only one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. It's a hard thing to tell people the reality about heaven and hell, I was speaking at a student group recently in another ministry that I was involved with, you know, and students were asking that question. How can there be so many people that are going to go to hell? I said, that, that's a hard thing. It's a hard saying of Jesus when he says that the way to life is narrow and there are few who find it. But the way to destruction is broad and there are many on that road to destruction. That's a hard thing. I mean, it's hard for us to really think about that and, and say that and understand what that means, but Jesus said that. And it's not our role to change the message or to try to water it down or make it seem you know, more palatable or easier for people. Our responsibility is to tell the truth that God has spoken in His Holy Word. And it's the same thing when we talk about moral issues. When we talk about marriage and divorce and what the Bible has to say about that, or we talk about issues like abortion or homosexuality or premarital sex or all those kind of lifestyle questions, and we come and we say what the Scripture says, it's hard for people to hear it. They don't want to hear it in this pluralistic society where everybody feels like they ought to be able to decide what they want to do and live as though there are no consequences. Our responsibility is to tell the truth that God has spoken in His Holy Word. That's true for all of us, but it is especially true for those that God calls to ministry. Look at this passage from Malachi chapter 2. The Scripture says that the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned away from the way, 
and by your teaching have caused many to stumble, and you have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. In another point in Israel's history, about 400 years before the life of Christ, the prophet Malachi was given this word. And the priests in that day had come to the point where they had so watered down the scriptures, compromised their faith, were doing these kind of idolatrous things, telling people what they wanted them to hear. And God says, don't you remember the privilege that I gave to Levi to be that messenger of the Lord, to speak my word to God's people? lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And when God's people, doesn't matter what denomination it is, what seminary it is, when those who are in leadership begin to turn away from the scriptures and begin to teach their own thoughts and opinions rather than God's word, God says, because you have despised me, I will cause you to be despised or have low esteem in the eyes of the people. There is such a temptation for those in ministry to want to do that at times. People want to teach their own thoughts and opinions. I think of Karl Barth, who was a liberal theologian in the 1900s, educated in uh, kind of the academic circles of his time, and there was all this, the quest for the historical Jesus and wanting to take out the supernatural and just make Jesus this kind of good moral teacher. And he came out in his ministry, and uh, as one of my professors told me, you know, for his first three, four years in ministry in a church, he just simply taught his seminary notes. You know, he just took those notes and kind of used that to teach the people. But what he found was that it didn't satisfy, it didn't connect with their heart or life issues, and he was running dry. He was dry. And when he got to the end of his notes, he thought, what am I going to teach? And he went back to the scriptures, and he began to teach the Word of God. And he saw the difference that that made in people's lives. When God speaks, there is truth. And that truth is exactly what we need to hear in our lives. And the Bible tells us that if we do not stand in the counsel of God to hear what it is that he has to say, we have nothing to give of people that is going to be of significant help in their life. Samuel spoke the truth. Eli heard it that way. He understood. And he said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Thirdly, when God speaks, there is power. There is power. Verses 19 to the end of the chapter. The Lord was with Samuel. As he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. The Lord was with Samuel. He uses this expression that he let none of his words fall to the ground. He let none of his words fail. 
God spoke through Samuel these words of truth and instruction. And God blessed Samuel's life and ministry with this kind of power. There was an evidence that the Lord was at work within him. And because of the power of Samuel's ministry and what they saw God doing in his life, all Israel began to recognize and affirm that he was a prophet of the Lord. I mean, it was really clear the evidence that they could see in his life. Samuel's words were reliable because God was with him. And Samuel the priest became Samuel the judge who would decide in these matters of law. And he became the prophet of the Lord. In fact, his most significant ministry in the future as we go through this book will be he is the one who anoints Israel's first two kings, Saul and then David. And isn't it remarkable that these books that are really supposed to be talking about the monarchy in Israel begin with this prophet and begin with this unknown family living in an out-of-the-way city, small town. And God begins to work in setting things up as a part of his salvation history. The Lord continued to appear to Samuel at Shiloh. It is through Samuel that God will speak to Israel. And it is through Samuel that God is going to appoint his kings. God's word has the power to change all who hear and obey it. The very same word that God spoke to Samuel and he would use to bring change in the hearts of people at that time is the same word that God speaks to us. It's that living word of God that penetrates our heart, that brings conviction of sin and of righteousness, that shows us the way to life, that tells us about the person of Jesus Christ. That word has the power to change lives. There's a man named Emil I'm not sure if I have the pronunciation right and that I am not good with French. <laughs> but he was a French philosopher who grew up in the late 1800s. And he grew up at a time when uh, he was taught everything about naturalism. There's no room for God. There's no place for the supernatural in our world. The world is just a product of everything that we can see and test and touch. That's kind of the way he lived. Collier was called to serve in World War I, and he was confronted with the horrors of that war. He saw his best friend shot and killed in battle. He himself was shot and wounded in a battle. He would spend nine months in an army hospital recovering from his wounds. During that time, he tried to find something that would make sense of life, something that would give meaning to this nonsense that he saw in our world and, and the pain and the suffering and all of those things. And he searched for answers and he could find none. And so he decided in his own mind that he was going to write a book. He was going to write a book that would answer those kind of questions. And what he did was he made a compilation of quotes that he liked from different philosophers and philosophies and the writings of men, and he put down his own thoughts. And when he had finished writing that book, he went back to read that, to see if somehow that would make sense of his world and give him meaning. Nothing. It was empty. It was empty. 
And what was interesting was that during that time, his wife came into possession of a Bible, a book that had literally been forbidden in their house, but no part of it. But now Emil was eager to read that book. And this is how he described what happened. He said, I literally grabbed the book and I rushed to my study with it. I opened it and I chanced upon the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And he said, I read, and I read, and I read. And now aloud, with indescribable warmth surging within, I could not find words to express my awe and wonder at this book. And suddenly the realization dawned upon me that this was the book that would understand me. This was the book that I needed so much and yet was unaware. And I had attempted to write my own in vain. I continued to read deeply into the night, mostly from the Gospels. And lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them, became alive in me. Collier gave his life to Christ. God's Word has the power to change lives if people will come to it and take this book and read. It is an amazing thing that the God of the Bible wants to speak to us. He's not too busy. He is not distant and uncaring. He loves and cares about you, and he wants to speak to you. And when God speaks, there is hope, and there is truth, and there is power. The only question is, will we listen? Will we listen and hear and act on what God has to say? Let's pray. Father, as we wait upon you, we come wanting to hear from you, the living God. And you know what's going on in our life and the needs and circumstances right now. And I pray that you would speak words of comfort, words of conviction, words of instruction and guidance, words of hope, whatever we need. And may we take the time even this week to simply be quiet before you and wait in your presence. And would you speak to us? Amen. Amen. As you go today, may you hear these words of Scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.